Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Join me as we explore the Russian chronicles, myths, fairy tales, legends, works done by Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, among others. Don't go anywhere. James is on the air. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Story Traditions with James on this rainy Saturday afternoon. A few things I want to let you know before we kick the show off. Next week, I will not be on the air because WHRW Binghamton will be hosting the 24-hour marathon in memory of Paul J. Battaglia, a former station manager here at WHRW Binghamton. And who passed away during the tragic uh, terrorist attacks on September 11th of 2001. And so we are hosting a 24-hour marathon in his honor. Uh, The week following, I will also not be here because Binghamton University will be kicking off its spring break. Students will be allowed to not be at school. So this is a time when I, too, will not be at school. Um... The spring break uh, for me may last two weeks, so I, I may miss two shows, and uh, you'll be able to catch me in about three weeks. So I just want to let you all know that. And when we return, we will be in April, so that means we'll only have about four to five weeks to wrap up the show, and I want to get right into 20th century Russian literature. So some of the works we will be looking at include Dostoevsky's um Brothers Karmasikov. We will be looking at that. We'll look at Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina and a few short stories. Uh, we'll look at Anton Chekhov's A Lady with a Dog and Angel or Darling, depending on which translation you have. We'll look at the works of Gogol, the government inspector. It's a play written by Nikolai Gogol. And we'll also look at St. John's Eve, written by Gogol. Um, other works include... Lermontov's A Hero of Our Time that we will look at, and some poetry written by Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, and um, yeah, and some other things that we have lined up. As the weeks unfold, 
I will detail exactly when we will be discussing the uh, larger Russian pieces. But this week, we continue with Russian folklore. Last week, we began our story of Ivan and the Firebird. And the Firebird has come to represent Russian folklore. Um, the, the, the title of the piece we, we began reading last week is Prince Ivan, the Firebird, and the Grey Wolf. And the Firebird has come to represent folk Russia, the folk tradition of Russia. Uh, Stravinsky wrote a piece, composed a piece titled The Firebird. Uh, many books dealing with Russian history often has as a subtitle uh, The Land of the Firebird or something... Uh, referencing this firebird. And the tale we are discussing uh, involves the firebird, and that is what we will discuss this week. This tale, Prince Ivan, the firebird, and the gray wolf. We will analyze this tale using the works of Vladimir Prop, a Russian structuralist who composed the text titled The Morphology of Folklore. So you don't want to go anywhere. We'll return with a in a in-depth discussion on folklore, Russian folklore, what it means, what what are the implications, what can we learn from folklore, so on and so forth. So you don't want to go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. I will be back after a few songs. Remember, the number here is 777-2137. You're always welcome to give me a call if you want to chime in on the discussion, anything you want to say, anything you know about Russian folklore. You're, you're more than welcome to do so. Again, the number is 777-2137. Груду, груду, груцуки, век с пелуки, ванденелю, не отранда шалитинелю. Так куцикелуку, так куцикелуку. Вире, вире, кощи, лайкая целощи, Иж грекялю груду, иж молиню блюду, там давек отмажас, там кот грожус, там кот грожи проще, там кот вандянели наши. У вас еще там бачик подарил пацик. Кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-кра-
in order that King Vyslav not um, lambaste him publicly. And so here is what Prince uh, King, um, I'm sorry, King uh, Vyslav is Ivan's father. I'm sorry, I had the names confused. King Dolmat is where, King Dolmat's kingdom is where Prince Ivan finds the firebird. And Prince Ivan is given an opportunity to to make good of himself by King Dolmat. And here is what transpires between Prince Ivan and King Dolmat. Oh, you young lad. Prince Ivan, said King Dolmat. Is it fitting that... Is it fitting to do what you have done? If you had come to me, I would have given you the firebird with honor. But now, will you like it if I send to all the kingdoms to proclaim how dishonorably you have acted in my kingdom? However, listen, Prince Ivan, if you will do me a service, if you go beyond 30 lands to the 30th kingdom and get for me the horse with the golden mane from the realm of King Aphron, I will give you your offense and hand the firebird over. I will forgive you your offense and hand the firebird over to you with great honor. But if you do not perform this service, I shall let it be known in all the kingdoms that you are a dishonorable thief. Prince Ivan left King Dolmat in great distress, promising to get for him the horse with the golden mane. He came to the great wolf, the gray wolf, and told him everything that King Dolmat had said. Oh, young lad, Prince Ivan, said the gray wolf. Why? Why did you not heed my words? Why did you take the golden cage? It is true. I am guilty before you, answered Prince Ivan. Well, let it be so, said the gray wolf. Sit on me, the gray wolf. I will carry you where you have to go. Prince Ivan mounted the gray wolf's back, and the wolf ran fast as an arrow. He ran till nightfall, a short distance over a long or a long one, until he came to King Afron's kingdom, and reaching the white-walled royal stables, the gray wolf said to Prince Ivan, Go, Prince Ivan, into those white-walled stables. All the stable boys on guard are now sleeping soundly. And take the horse with the golden mane. However, on the wall, there hangs a golden bridle. Do not take it, otherwise there will be trouble. Prince Ivan entered the white-walled stables, took the steed, and began to retrace his steps. But he noticed the golden bridle on the wall and was so charmed with it that he removed it from its nails. And he had no sooner removed it than a thunderous clatter and noise resounded through all the stables, for there were strings tied to that bridle. The stable boys on guard woke up at once, rushed in, caught Prince Ivan, and brought him before King Afron. King Afron began to question him. Young lad, he said, tell me, from what kingdom you are come? Whose son are you, and what your name may be? Prince Ivan answered, I am from Vyslav's kingdom. I am King Vyslav Adronovich's son, and I am called Prince Ivan. Oh, young lad! Prince Ivan, said King Afron, is the deed you have done befitting an honorable knight? If you had come to me, I would have given you the horse with the golden mane in all honor. But now, 
Now, will you like it if I send all the kingdoms to proclaim how dishonorably you have behaved in my kingdom? However, listen, Prince Ivan, if you do me a service, if you go beyond the thrice nine land and to the thrice tenth kingdom and get for me Princess Elena the Fair, with whom I have been in love, heart and soul, for long years, but whom I cannot win for my bride, I will forgive you your offense and give you the horse with the golden mane in all honor. But, but, if you do not perform this service for me, I shall let it be known in all the kingdoms that you are a dishonorable thief and will put down in writing how badly you have behaved in my kingdom. Then Prince Ivan promised King Afron to get Princess Elena the fair for him and left the palace weeping bitterly. He came to the gray wolf and told him everything that had happened to him. Oh, young lad! Prince Ivan, said the gray wolf, why did you not heed my words? Why did you take the golden bridle? It is true. I am guilty before you, answered Prince Ivan. Well, let it be so, said the gray wolf. Sit on me. The gray wolf, I will carry you where you have to go. Prince Ivan mounted the gray wolf's back. And the wolf ran as fast as an arrow. He ran as beasts ran in fairy tales, so that in a very short time he arrived in the kingdom of Elena the Fair. And reaching the golden fence that surrounded the wonderful garden, the wolf said to Prince Ivan, Now, Prince Ivan, climb down from me, the gray wolf, and get back along. Get back along the same road that we took to come here. And wait for me in the open field under the green oak. Prince Ivan went where he was bid. But the gray wolf sat near the golden fence and waited till Prince Elena the Fair should come to take her walk in the garden. Toward evening, when the sun began to set in the west, and the air became cool, Princess Elena the Fair went to walk in the garden with her governess, her governesses, and ladies-in-waiting. She entered the garden, and when she came near the place where the gray wolf was sitting behind the fence, he quickly jumped across the fence into the garden, caught the princess, jumped back again, and ran with all his strength and power. He came to the green oak in the open field where Prince Ivan was waiting for him and said, Prince Ivan, quickly, seat yourself on me, the gray wolf. Prince Ivan seated himself, and the gray wolf dart, darted off with him and the princess toward King Afron's kingdom. The nurses and governesses and ladies-in-waiting who had been walking in the garden with the beautiful Princess Elena ran at once to the palace and sent men at arms to pursue the gray wolf. But no matter how fast they ran, they could not overtake him, and so they turned back. Sitting on the gray wolf with the beautiful Princess Elena, Prince Ivan came to love her with all his heart, and she to love Prince Ivan. And when the gray wolf came to King Afron's kingdom, and Prince Ivan had to lead the beautiful princess to the palace and gave her to King Afron, he grew extremely sad and began to weep bitter tears, the gray wolf asked him, Why are you weeping, Prince Ivan? 
And Prince Ivan answered, Grey wolf, my friend, why should I not weep and grieve? I have come to love the beautiful Prince Elena with all my heart, and now I must give her to King Afron in return for the horse with the golden mane. If I do not give her to him, he will dishonor me in all the kingdoms. I have served you much, Prince Ivan, said the grey wolf, and I will do this service too. Listen to me, Prince Ivan. I will turn myself into the beautiful Princess Elena. And do you, and do your lead, lead, do you lead me to King Afron and take from him the horse with the golden mane? He will think me the real princess. And later, when you have mounted the horse with the golden mane and gone far away, I shall ask King Afron to let me walk in the open field. And when he lets me go with the nurses and the governesses and ladies in waiting, I, I, and I am with them in the open field. Remember me. And once again, I shall be with you. The gray wolf said these words, struck himself against the damp earth and turned into Princess Elena the Fair so that there was no way of knowing that he was not the princess. Prince Ivan took the gray wolf, went to King Afron's palace and told the real Princess Elena to wait for him outside, outside the town. When Prince Ivan came to King Afron with the false Elena the Fair, the king was greatly rejoiced to receive the treasure that he had so long desired. He accepted the false princess and gave Prince Ivan the horse with the golden mane. Prince Ivan mounted the horse and rode out of the town. He had seated Princess Elena the Fair behind him, and they set out in the direction of King Dalmat's kingdom. As for the gray wolf, he lived with King Afron one day, a second day, then a third, in the place of Elena the Fair, and on the fourth he went to King Afron and asked his permission to take a walk in the open field to dispel the cruel sadness and grief that lay on him. And King Afron said to him, Ah, my beautiful princess Elena, for you I will do anything. I will even let you go to walk in the open field. And at once he commanded the governesses and nurses and all the ladies-in-waiting to walk with the beautiful princess in the open field. Meanwhile, Prince Ivan rode along byways and bypaths with Elena the Fair, conversed with her, and forgot about the gray wolf. But then he remembered, Ah! he said, Where is my gray wolf? Suddenly, as though he had come from nowhere, the gray wolf stood before Prince Ivan and said, Prince Ivan, sit on me, the gray wolf, and let the beautiful princess ride on the horse with the golden mane. Prince Ivan sat on the gray wolf, and they set out for King Dolmat's kingdom. They traveled a long time or a short time, and having come to the kingdom, stopped three versts from the town. Prince Ivan began to implore the gray wolf, saying, Listen to me, gray wolf, my dear friend. You, you have done many, many a service for me. Do me this last one. Could you not turn yourself into a horse with a golden mane instead of this one? For I long to have myself a horse with a golden mane. Suddenly, the gray wolf struck himself against the damp earth and turned himself into a horse with a golden mane. Prince Ivan left Princess Elena the Fair in the green meadow, bestrode the gray wolf and went to the palace of King Dolmat. And when King Dalmat saw Prince Ivan riding on the horse with the golden mane, he was overjoyed at once, came out of his apartment, met the prince in the great courtyard, kissed him on his sweet lips, took him by the right hand and led him into the white-walled palace wall hall. In honor of this joyous occasion, King Dolmat gave a great feast and the guests sat 
at oak tables with checked tablecloths. They ate, drank, laughed, and enjoyed themselves for exactly two days. And on the third day, King Dolmat handed the, to Prince Ivan the firebird and the golden cage. The prince took the firebird, went outside the town, mounted the golden, golden-maned horse together with Princess Elena the Fair, and set out for his native land, the kingdom of King Vyslav Adronovich. As for King Dolmat, he decided on the next day to break, break in his golden-maned horse in the open field. He had the horse saddled, then mounted him and rode off. But as soon as he began to spur the beast, it threw him, and turning back into the gray wolf, darted off and overtook Prince Ivan. Prince Ivan, he said, mount me, the gray wolf, and let Princess Elena the Fair ride on the horse with the golden mane. Prince Ivan sat on the gray wolf, and they continued on their way. The moment the gray wolf brought Prince Ivan to the palace with where he had torn the horse asunder, he stopped and said, Well, Prince Ivan, I have served you long enough, in faith and in truth. Upon this spot, I tore your horse in twain, and to this spot, I have brought you back safe and sound. Climb down from me, the gray wolf. Now you have a horse with a golden mane. Mount him and go wherever you have to go. I am no longer your servant. After he had said these words, the gray wolf ran off and Prince Ivan wept bitterly and set out on his way with his beautiful princess. He rode with Princess Elena for a long time or a short time. When they were still about twenty versts from the from his own land, he stopped, dismounted from his horse, and lay down with the beautiful, beautiful princess to rest under a tree from the heat of the sun. He tied the horse with the golden mane to the same tree and put the cage with the firebird by his side. The two lovers lay on a soft grass, lay on the soft grass, spoke amorous words to each other, and fell fast asleep. At that very moment, Prince Ivan's brothers, Prince Dmitri and Prince Vasily, having traveled through various kingdoms and having failed to find the firebird, were on their way back to their native land. They were returning empty-handed. They chanced to come upon their brother, Prince Ivan, lying asleep beside Princess Elena the Fair. Seeing the golden-maned horse on the grass and the firebird in the golden cage, they were sorely tempted and decided to slay their brother. Prince Dmitri drew, drew his sword from his scabbard, stabbed Prince Ivan, and cut him into little pieces. Then he awakened Princess Elena the Fair and began to question her. Lovely maiden, he said, from what kingdom have you come? Who was your father and what is your name? The beautiful Princess Elena, seeing Prince Ivan dead, was terribly frightened and began to weep bitter tears. And amid her tears, she said, I am Princess Elena the Fair. I was carried off by Prince Ivan, whom you have brought to an evil end. If you were valiant knights, you would have gone with him into the open field and conquered him in fair combat. But you slew him while he was asleep. And what praise will that give you? A sleeping man is the same as a dead man. Then Prince Dmitri put his sword to the heart of Princess Elena and said to her, Listen to me, 
Elena the Fair. You are now in my hands. We shall take you to our father, King Vyslav Andranovich. And you must tell him that we conquered you as well as the firebird and the horse with the golden mane. If you do not promise to do this, I shall put you to death at once. Is that clear? The beautiful Princess Elena was frightened by the threat of death she promised them and swore by everything sacred that she would speak as they commanded. Then Prince Dmitri and Prince Vasile cast lots to see who should get Princess Elena and who the horse with the golden mane. And it fell out that the beautiful princess went to Prince Vasily and the horse with the golden mane to Prince Dmitri. Then Prince Vasily took the beautiful Princess Elena and seated her on his good horse. And Prince Dmitri mounted the horse with the golden mane and took the firebird to give to his father, King Vyslav Andronovich. And they all set out on their way. Princess, Prince Ivan lay dead on the spot exactly thirty days. Then the gray wolf came upon him and knew by his odor. And knew him by his order, odor. He wanted to help the prince, to revive him, but he did not know how to do it. At that moment, the gray wolf saw a raven with two young ravens flying above the body, making ready to swoop down and eat the flesh of Prince Ivan. The gray wolf hid behind a bush, and as soon as the young ravens lighted on the ground and began to eat the body of Prince Ivan, he leaped from behind the bush, caught one young raven, and prepared to tear him in twain. Then the raven flew to the ground, sat at some distance from the gray wolf and said to him oh gray wolf do not touch my young child he has done nothing to you listen to me raven said the gray wolf i shall not touch your child and will let him go safe and sound if you will do me a service fly beyond thrice ninth land to the thrice tenth kingdom and bring me the water of death and the water of life Thereupon, the raven said to the gray wolf, I will do the service for you, but touch not my son. Having said these words, the raven took wing and soon was out of sight. On the third day, the raven came back carrying two files, one containing the water of life, the other the water of death, and she gave these files to the gray wolf. The gray, the gray wolf took the files, tore the young raven in twain, sprinkled him with the water of death, and the young raven's body grew together. He sprinkled him with the water of life, and the young raven shook his wings and flew away. Then the gray wolf sprinkled Prince Ivan with the water of death, and his body grew together. He sprinkled him with the water of life, and, the, and Prince Ivan stood up and said, Ah! I have slept very long. The gray wolf answered him, Yes, Prince Ivan. You would have slept forever had it not been for me. Your brothers cut you in pieces and carried off the beautiful Princess Elena and the horse with the golden mane and the firebird. Now hasten as fast as you can to your native land. Your brother Prince Vasile is this very day to marry your bride, Princess Elena the Fair. And in order to get there quickly, you had better sit on me, the Grey Wolf. Prince Ivan mounted the gray wolf. The wolf ran with him to King Vyslav Adranovich's kingdom and after a short time or a long time reached the town. Prince Ivan dismounted the gray wolf, walked into the town and having arrived at the palace found that his brother Prince Vasile was indeed wedding the beautiful Princess Elena that very day. He had returned with her 
from the ceremony and was already sitting on, at that feast. Prince Ivan entered the palace. No sooner did Elena the Fair see him than she sprang up from the table, began to kiss his sweet lips, and cried out, This is my beloved bridegroom, Prince Ivan, not the evil doer who sits here at the table! Then King Vasilov Vasilov Andronovich rose from his place and began to question Princess Elena. What is the meaning of your words you have spoken? He demanded. Elena the Fair told him the whole truth about what had happened, how Prince Ivan had won her, the horse with the golden mane and the firebird, how his older brothers had killed him in his sleep, and how they had forced her under threat of death to say that they had won all this. King Vasilov grew terribly angry at Prince Dmitri and Prince Vasily, and threw them into a dungeon. But Prince Ivan married Princess Elena the Fair and began to live with her in such true friendship and love that neither of them could spend a single minute without the other's company. The End And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our tale... Prince Ivan, the Firebird, and the Grey Wolf. When we return, we will discuss this in the context of folklore, what folklore means, uh, what folklore meant to Russian civilization, what it still means today. So you don't want to miss our discussion. Remember, the number here is 777-2137 in the 607 area code. Again, 777-2137 in the 607 area code. If you're online, uh, you can IM me, Instant Messenger. My screen name is WHRW Music. Here on 90.5 WHRW Binghamton. I will be back, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it locked. Люляй, люляй, рутяли, Ужими кмано ущеряла, Ужими кмано Аж греет суверипсю плона и линялюс, И шаусю тау дробялась, И шаусю тау дробя. Пасюсю марышки нелюс, Пасюсю марышки нелюс. Аваю жаухсу, жаухс маноду крялы, Как красненькие лия пялы, Как красненькие лия пялы. Тая сукара усю дзиджи шаревяли, Тая маргую дробялю, Тая маргую дробя. Тая сукара усю дзиджи шаревяли, Вайка патио сберенялись, Вайка патио сберенялись. Тая шнуколосю плоном дробялым, 
Долеке тувьяшкялели, долеке тувьяшкялели, саводу крялей, саводу ритяли, светимо нашали найся, светимо нашали найся. Илюля докоряли, Илюля воякали, Ожими крамал смягали, Ожими крамал and gentlemen what you just heard was a folk song titled no stones on the mountain and before that you heard a lithuanian lullaby and so we return to our discussion of folklore uh, last week i provided you with a brief introduction I, i i mentioned that the folklore in russia was commissioned a collection of the folklore was commissioned by Tsar Ivan IV, better known as Ivan the Terrible. And um, the folklore can be broken down into a number of, of categories depending on whom you speak with about this. Um, but I broke them down into the animal tales, and these tales resemble what you uh, know as a- Aesop's fables. Many of the fables uh, had foxes, um, wolves, and so on. The animals were the protagonists and antagonists of the tales. And I want to just uh, differentiate between a folklore and a myth quickly. A myth usually deals, while a folklore and a myth may both deal with the same issues, the, what differentiates them is who is dealing with these issues. And in the mythology, the, 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 the key figures dealing with these issues tend to be the gods, So conflicts, um, 
resolving these conflicts tend to be among the gods alone, while folklore tend to be among common people, peasants, um, um, merchants, and so on and so forth. They tend to be the key figures in folklore. So that's a, a brief and sort of general way to differentiate between myth and folklore. Mythology deals with the gods. Folklore, everyday people, and, and animals. And the, the animals sort of, re, sort of represent uh, human practices um, when you read your fables and the, the animals present in, in Russian folklore. So when a wolf is, is outsmarting a wolf, that's pretty much what you'll find in your own community. You'll find someone who is very sly outsmarting someone else. And, you know, these tend to be your politicians. And by definition, that's what a politician is, someone who's able to um, outsmart someone else. Practically, that's what a poli- by definition, that's what a politician is. And so these animals grow to represent human practices, human behavior, societal norms in, in the stories. And another branch of folktale is called the wonder tales. And the wonder tales are the tales um, where you, you find humans going out on an adventure, a male or a female, going out on an adventure somewhere, having to leave the house and grow, uh, encounter trials and tribulations. They usually face no more than three or a minimum of three tasks. And once they overcome these tasks, they may win a prize, a kingdom, the princess, the prince, they marry and they live happily ever after. Those tend to be your wonder tales. And that was what I just read for you, Yvonne, the firebird and the gray wolf. Yvonne was set out. Um, well, he was the hero of the story. He was uh, the underdog, if you will. Went out, won the firebird, got the horse with the golden mane. <clears throat> With the help of the gray wolf and the princess, he marries the princess in the end, and he wins the kingdom. Um, another um, motif that you commonly find in wonder tales is that the fool tends to be the victor in in these folk tales. Um, Prince Ivan is the third of of three; is the last of three sons. He's the the youngest. Um, he asked to go out to capture the firebird, but his father said, no, you're too young. You're not used to such adventures. You're not used to such things. And it was up to Prince Ivan to prove that he can and he was capable of of doing these things. And he did. And this becomes a, a common motif in many folklore, um, folk tales the world over. Okay, This isn't unique to Russian folklore. You'll find this in European folklore, in Arabic folklore, in um, Native American folklore. Okay, it's important that um, the audience listening to these folk tales become inspired to to take on tasks and to move on. You know, you may think you're a simpleton, but in the end, once you apply yourself, you 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 can overcome and become victorious. And it's important that you know the simpleton wins out in the end for the benefit of the audience. You know, the audience will internalize this. And the audience may not only be children. Okay, there's a, a misconception that these folk tales are really only for children. No, while children benefit the most from them, adults enjoy these things. Um, these folk tales were told to adults during work time. Um, when they were, uh, you know, during a break, uh, someone would read a, would recite a folk tale. Um, during nighttime, after dinner, 
adults would gather and listen to to folk tales. So the audience for these tales range from youth all the way to adulthood. Okay, and that's a misconception um, shared by many people that it's it's something for young people. No, it's something we can all learn from all everyone of all ages. Um, young children, however, do view folk tales differently. They internalize what they're hearing much differently. And the simplicity of the language is important for young children because young children tend to learn by images. The language for young children is a language of images. It, it isn't usually um, the complex language. And when I say complex, I mean long sentences. Um, you know, a, a child learns by imagery early on as he or she develops languages. And that is why folk tales, although they're told in such a simplistic manner, they're not told in that manner because of children, because it's not uh, because it's geared towards children. It's told in that manner because it was the oral tradition. It was how people memorize things. Things were you, you'll you'll find that in that tale I just read for you, there was repetition. Things kept happening in happening in the same in a similar order. Well, that's done for memorization. You know, the, the simplicity and the repetition are prerequisites for memorization. So, you know, those are things you want to consider when you look at the uh, the language being used um, and deciding whether it's children's literature or adult literature. Remember, these are coming from the oral tradition. And so, according to the oral tradition, things had to be memorized. And the way they were memorized was in a simple fashion and picturesque. Okay, the language is a, a language of images being used. All right, so now understanding these folk tales and if you want to write your own folk tale, how would you do that? Well, first I would recommend reading a hundred folk tales or more before sitting down to write your own tale. Okay, really understand the language involved, the simplicity, the 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 you know what really makes it touching. Understand that internalize the language before you sit down and write your own folktale. I highly recommend that. Um, nonetheless, multiple analyses have been conducted on folktales, uh, the structure of the folktale. And one that stands out to this very day was an analysis written by Vladimir Prapp, a 20th century structuralist, Russian structuralist, who compiled a hundred uh, folk tales, read those folk tales thoroughly, and found commonalities between the folk tales. And um, I think he focuses heavily on the wonder tales. And he put together a, a, a marvelous thesis that was sort of the missing link in analyzing folk tales. The missing link. What do I mean by the missing link? Well, you had psychoanalysis. You had. Um, 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 all sorts of ideas going on, but no one never wrought out the step-by-step fashion in which a folktale is to- told and a, a folktale is orated, how it's, constru- how it's structured. And here's what Vladimir Prop concluded. And we can look um, at what he concludes and at the tale I read for you. Number one, okay, his thesis details what, what what is called the functions of dramatis personae. So the functions of the individual in the folktale. And in 
our folktale, our heroine, our, I'm sorry, our hero was Prince Ivan. Number one, Vladimir Prop writes, one of the members of a family absents himself from home. The person absenting himself can be a member of the older generations. Parents leave for work, for example. The prince had to go on a distant journey, leaving his wife to the care of strangers. Once he went away to foreign lands and so on and so forth. Or an intensified form of absentation is represented by the death of parents. So the parents die, the child is left alone in the world and, ha- and uh, has to live. Number three, sometimes members of the younger generation absent themselves. They go visiting, fishing, go out to gather berries, go for a walk. And in our story, what did Prince Ivan do? Prince Ivan went out and, and to watch the firebird. He absents himself. He asked his father to go out. He asked his father to leave the house. And this is usually the first step of the, for the hero or the heroine when it comes to development and growth. And that's a very, that's center key for many of these wonder tales, growth and development. Okay. Uh, you have in today's society um, a phenomenon, especially during the last few years, uh, a phenomenon known as uh, uh, the boomerang children. So th- these are the kids, the parents s- force them out of the house, but then they return. They, they return. Why is that? Part of the reason is they can't deal with the real world. They haven't grown and developed to deal with the real world on their own. And that's something that resonates in these folktales. Uh, one of the, the well-known folktales, I guess, that has a wonderful example of the boomerang children is the folktale uh, Hansel and Gretel. Remember what happens during in Hansel and Gretel. The father uh, remarries a woman and the father already has two children, Hansel and Gretel, and he remarries. And the, the, the stepmother, the new wife, who becomes these children's stepmother, forces them out of the house. She entices her husband, uh, persuades her husband to take them into the forest. But what happens? Whenever the father takes them into the forest, Hansel drops seeds on the ground so that he can trace his way back home. And, what, and that's exactly what happens. The kids return home. They're boomerang kids. And this happens three times. But on the third time, when he drops those seeds on the ground, the birds eat them. So he's unable to trace his way back home, and he's forced to live in the real world. And once he does that, once they do that, they do earn riches, and they're able to um, help the father when they return home because the father at this point is now a poor old man who can no longer work. So the kids now take over and share. But in order for that to occur, the kids had to leave the house and develop I mean, really go through the tasks of life before they can return home. And if, if that development doesn't take place, it, it, it can be um, problematic later on in life. Uh, 30-year-olds, 30, 40-year-olds are returning home. Um, and everyone has their own reasons. But at, at, at the core of many of these wonder tales is this notion of development and growth. And so in order for that to occur, the individual must leave the house, must leave the house. Either they're, they, they're forced out by a step-parent or they, um, 
or he or she willingly accepts uh, absence him or herself. And Vladimir Prop notes that in his analyses, again, his first point, one of the members of a family absents himself from home. All right. Number two, an interdiction is addressed to the hero or shiro. What is an interdiction? Well, a designate, um, you know, it's a, a, an order. Don't do this. Do this. Do, don't do this when you should do this and so on and so forth. So forth. Some of these interdictions can be something like this. Um, you dare not look into this closet. Take care of your little brother. Do not venture forth uh, from the courtyard. If Baba Yaba comes, Baba Yaga, by the way, is is like um, the, the, the she she's one of the key figures in many Russian folklore. Uh, she can be nice to children or she can be evil to children. She there's stories where she eats children. So Baba Yaga is, is a well-known um, individual who really, I mean, there's, there's tons of books analyzing her, what she represents for Russia. But uh, one of the, an interdiction can be if Baba Yaga comes, don't say anything, be silent. Often did the prince try to persuade her and command her not to leave the lofty uh, tower, so on and so forth. Those are interdictions. An interdiction... Uh, not to go out is sometimes strengthened or replaced by putting children in a stronghold. Sometimes, on the contrary, an interdiction is evidenced in a weakened form or, or a request or bit of advice. A mother tries to persuade her son not to go out fishing. You still, you're still little, so on and for, so forth. So remember, that's something that we heard from the father in this tale. Prince Ivan wanted to go out in search of the, the, the firebird. What did, it, what did his father tell him? You're too young. You're not used to such things. You, you cannot do that. But that, that's not the only point where we see an interdiction. We see an interdiction when Prince Ivan is with the wolf three times. Three times the wolf tells him not to do something. And what does Prince Ivan do? He does it. And that brings us to... Um, Vladimir Prop's third point, which is the interdiction is viol- violated. And that is what happens. First, um, first let's, let's review this. So the forms of violation correspond to the forms of interdiction. Functions two and three, uh, it's now getting all mathematical, but the second half can sometimes exist without the first. Here, the interdiction of tardiness is omitted. Okay. Um, Pretty much the interdiction is violated. That is, the, the hero or shiro was told not to do something, and the hero or shiro does it anyway, and thereby violating the interdiction. The case of Prince Ivan and his father, King King Vaislev. King Vaislev attempts to tell his son, look, to convince his son, you're too young. You can't go out. You're you know, you, you have a lot to grow a lot of growing up to do. You're not used to such things. But that interdiction is violated. Prince Ivan goes out and, and watches the firebird. And then after he gets hold of the firebird, um, the gray wolf tells him not to do such and such, not to um, take the bridle, not to take the cage. And Prince Ivan takes the cage. He violates this interdiction. So that's the third function of the persona, uh, dramatis personae, um, as uh, written by... Vladimir Prop. Number four, 
The villain makes an attempt at reconnaissance. Um, this this doesn't happen in our Wonder Tale, but usually the villain will attempt to find out where where their victim is. So they'll through trickery they'll try to get questions out of people to find their victim. And in a way, this does happen in Prince Ivan when whenever he encounters the kings, the kings. Um, Ask him, where are you from? Whose child are you? Um, what are you doing here? They're, they're eliciting information from him. But, and then they use him to get what they want. So King Dolmat wanted the horse with the golden mane, so they used Ivan. So this probing, this question probing is present, but not um, as blatantly as it is in many other tales. So number four, um, Vladimir Prop hits right on the head. Number five, the villain receives information about his victim. So the villain, okay, the villain knows who Prince Ivan was, so on and so forth. And remember, all of these uh, steps that are uh, detailed in Prop's theses don't necessarily have to fit perfectly with every Russian tale, but these are the common trends in wonder tales. Um, let's see. There are many others... But I have to take a break now. When we return, we will conclude our discussion on Prince Ivan, the Firebird, and the Grey Wolf, and our discussion on Vladimir Prop's analyses. And then we're going to move into something along the lines of folk tales. We're going to look at... Um, Epic tales closely. We looked at the lay of of Igor, but we're, we're going to expand on the epic tales and uh, possibly try to connect the two. All right, you don't want to go anywhere. James is on the air. Keep it locked, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to WHRW Binghamton. My daddy used to be on this radio. Pretty cool, huh? Hello, and this is Rory Sinjin on WHRW Binghamton. Did you know that on March 13, 1865, in a desperate measure, the Confederate States of America reluctantly approved the use of black troops as the main rebel armies faced long odds against the much larger Union armies at this late stage of the war? Let's hear what it sounded like. Listen, boy, we're running out of troops, so I want you to get your dirty hands on these rifles and start fighting with us for the CSA. Okay, sir. But General, General, I done just got some information from over on yon med camp, and they done said that if we handle dirty guns, we done be suffering from disease and everything and only making this thing worse than it is. Disease? But boy, that's one of the main reasons our troops in this 1860s war is perishing like flies. The doc over in the tent, he done recommend, General, that we wash our hands before we uh, handle them guns. That's show advanced medicine for this time period. And it was due to the new uh, mandatory washing your hands after you go into the bathroom policy that the Confederate Army did win the war, and we live in the Confederate States of America today. You're listening to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. This program may contain materials which can be considered offensive. The views stated belong to the engineers and do not reflect the views of the governing body of WHRW or other WHRW members. Tonight I ask you to consider early whether we or our children should be listening tonight. And above all, 
listen to your mom or dad as they are evil. Thank you and good evening. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Story Traditions with James, Spring 2010 edition. Join me as we explore the Russian chronicles, myths, fairy tales, legends, works done by Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, among others. Don't go anywhere. James is on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, and I um, just want to remind you all that next week I will not be on the air because WHRW Binghamton will be hosting its 24-hour marathon in memory of Paul J. Battaglia, a former uh, WHRW station manager who passed away during the horrific terrorists attack on September 11, 2001. Um, Featuring um, on this event are... Eliana Rampage, Explorchestra, Peaches and Crime, Acapella Groups, WHRW Idol, Iron DJ, Name That Tune, lots of music trivia, and it kicks off on March 19th at 2 p.m. and concludes on March 20th, 2 p.m. Okay, um, if, uh, if you'd like to sign up for games and win prizes, simply send an email to pr at whrwfm.org. Again, pr at whrwfm.org. And again, this is the ninth annual 24-hour marathon in memory of Paul J. Battaglia, beginning on March 19th at 2 p.m. and concluding on March 20th at 2 p.m. And that following week begins spring break. So... I will not be here for spring break, and this and spring break uh, in, um, includes two shows. So that means I will be out for three weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Three weeks. Uh, I apologize, but we will be on par when we return in April, and we're going to conclude story traditions with James Russian edition this semester with twentieth century Russian literature. So we're going to look at the works of. Um, Dostoevsky, Brothers Karmasikov. Um, we're going to also look at Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. We're going to look at Lermontov, a hero of our, our time. We're going to look at Chekhov. Um, many of his, his plays, they're fairly short. We can look at those in depth. Some of these plays include uh, Three Sisters, um, 
uh, The Seagull. We can also look at some of his short stories, uh, Darling or Angel, depending on what translation you may have. We also will look at The Lady with the Dog, among other things. So you don't want to miss that um, half of, of, of story traditions with James. Uh, we will wrap up this semester, Russian literature, with the heavy hitters, if you will. Um, this week, we will conclude the f- early Russian literature. So we've covered a tremendous amount, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We've looked at uh, the chronicles, the earliest writings found in Kiev, Kiev and Rus, that were designed to Christianize the nation. Uh, then we made our way into Igor, the, uh, the Lay of Igor, the epic tales. We looked at... Um, Tales of ideology. How how are stories written to infuse ideology among the populace? We also looked at secular stories, the um, creation of fiction um, um, in in Russia, and now we're concluding our discussion on Russian folk tales. And we will um, wrap up this show with a return to legends. Um, how do they intertwine? Well, I want to talk about Bilanese or Bilanese, B-Y-L-I-N-I-E-S. And these are Russian songs and poems about epic heroes. And the Russian root B-L, B-Y-L, Bile, means truth. And they discuss the creation from the Krievin to the era of the Tatar yoke. Okay, when the Mongols occupied Russia. Um, the Bogatirs and the Palianistas were, I guess you would consider them like the heroes, the legends. These are the equivalents of the Knights of Europe. Um, the Palianista is defined as a field woman. Okay? And the Bogatir... Okay, this they describe the um um the they 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 embody various character traits from musicianship to trickery to great strength, massive structure as well as savvy business individuals. And the fact that all of these heroes had the sole duty of protecting foreign invaders including uh protecting um um, their country from foreign invaders, which include Swedes, Poles, Turks, Rush, uh, Persians, Mongols, and Germans. Um, this, the, the Bogotars became the heroes of the land. The, 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 they're quote-unquote gods, if you will. So there's a, you can almost see a, a pagan um, influence coming in here. Um, where did the Bailani come from? Well, they're unique to Slavs. However, they have distinct influences. The Bailani can hail from east, uh, the eastern part. Uh, so they can come from Mongol. They may be influenced by Mongols and as well as Turkish individuals. Persian and Hindi influences are found in, in the Bailani. But the Bailani... Um, can be broken down into two categories. It can be 
Kievan Bailoni and there can be Novgorodian Bailoni. And the Novgorodian tales come from Scandinavia and Northern Europe, and they share similar qualities with those tales, with the Swedish tales and so on. Um, So those are um, some tales that may come across as folklore, but not quite. They're more like legends and epics, epic tales. The Kievan bogatirs, nearly all of the Bailoni from the Kiev are set in the time of Vladimir I. And remember who Vladimir I was. He was responsible for Christianizing Russia. He um, had a public baptism, accepting Christ as their savior, as his savior, and um, leading the way for Christianization of Russia. Um, the Kievan bogatirs also perform some kind of service for Vladimir. So when you're reading these stories, uh, the Kievan Bailoni, you'll find that many of the bogatirs in the stories are performing some sort of service to Vladimir I. Um, and due to their eastern origins, many of the bogatirs fight dragons and perform monumental acts more akin to the tales of Asian folk. Okay, so again... These tales, these epic tales, were highly influenced by the Eastern Hemisphere, uh, the Mongols, by the Swedes, the Scandinavians, and so on and so forth. Uh, one key figure you'll find in Kievan Rus, a, a Kievan bogatir, is Dobrienja Nikitich. Nikitich. He's the dragon slayer and has superhuman strength, most keep, um, which you know he keeps in the forest. And then there is the Ilya Moromets, strong and wise, overpowers his enemies, most famous of all bogatirs, Ilya Moromets. And he fights the Polish, the Tatars, and the Turks, slays various monsters. And then there's Alyosha Popovich, crafty priest's son, Tricks and outsmarts enemies, slays dragons, which turns into Mongol Khan, obvious implications to the Tatar period. Um, Ilya Moromets was born in Muram, Peter and Favronia. Okay, if you we, we, we discussed the tale Peter and Favronia, so Muram should sound uh, familiar to you. Could not walk until age 30. Okay, we're talking about Ilya Moromets. He couldn't walk until the age of 30. Uh, Two travelers offer him water, and he regains his strength. He kills numerous monsters in the vast birch forests of Russia, destroys a church in Kiev because Vladimir fails to offer him a seat at his table, deemed a prince at the time of his death, remains now at a museum in Kiev, Important icon in Russian history. Um, the now we turn to the Novgor- Novgorodian bogatirs. We looked at the Kievan bogatirs. Here are the Novgorodian bogatirs. They're much more romantic in their style. They tend to be more about merchants and practical people. Lends evidence to Scandinavia roots as well as German and Polish roots. Sadko is a, a Novgorodian bogatir. Merchant and musician pulled into the sea for his adeptness at playing the gulsi. And then you have Vasile Busliev, strong man and drunk, 
needs to be talked out of destroying Novgorod by his mother, shoots arrows in the city to recruit servants. Let's first look at Sadko. Okay, Sadko, the Novgorodian bogatir, Played by the lake every day until storm arose and ran away. One day he is pulled into the sea. Czar of the sea makes him an offer to make him rich. He fools other merchants in Novgorod and take their wealth. Does not respect Tsar's wishes, gets uh, pulled back into the sea, marries daughter of the king, plays the Golsi, a four-string harp. In pre-Christian Russia, Sadko is the god of storms and the sea. So that's the um, background information of Sadko. Okay. Um, there it is, your Bailani. And they may resemble folklore, but they're more legends. They're more epic tales. And the Lay of Igor may be a Bailani as well, although the ending is horrific. The, the real uh, didactic message that we get from the Lay of Igor is that the princes should stop the infighting. That led to the fall of Russia. Um, and that was the tragedy in the Lay of Igor. So some may argue that the Lay of Igor belongs to Russian Bailani, while others say it may not. Nonetheless, it was the first Russian epic. Who recorded the Bailani? Uh, Slavophiles um, from 1860 to 1930, and they wanted a Russian identity that opposed the Westernizers. Um, they found over 3,000 tales, men up to the White Sea sang them. However, they sang of the ancient steppe. Thus, they must have migrated up or have been driven by the Mongols. And this revival of the Bailani inspired music, film, and literature to this day. Okay, so the Bailani is also an important uh, genre of literature coming from Russia. And it's important to them for their identity. It really ties into their identity. Folklore, I don't think, works well for um, referencing identity. Uh, the folklore is is very generic. It's very assimilated into world folklore. Uh, the, the, the tale I read for you is very similar to a German tale or, or a um, um, Native American tale. But the Bailani tales, the Bailani epic tales, are very specific to Russia. The, the key figures I mentioned are key figures who stem from Russia and are dealing with Vladimir I, who baptized Russia. So there's a direct connection to Russia in these tales. And um, some anthologies, well, you can find anthologies all over um, all over the place of these stories. They're wonderful stories. And, you know, you can add this to your collection. If you want a collection of folk tales... You can turn to the Russian fairy tales collected by Alexandra Afinisev and translated by Norbert Guterman. Um, this is where I got the story of Ivan the Firebird and the Wolf from, and this is where I get many of my Russian fairy tales from. Uh, for a, an anthology of Bailani epics or Bailani tales, you're free to choose from many. I haven't chosen one specifically, so I'm, I can't recommend any. But um, I'm sure you can find a, a wonderful one out there. All right. So that's it pretty much for 
uh, the first half of Story Traditions with James. The semester, we're now at the midterm of the semester. The second half of the semester, we're going to look at 20th century Russia, Russian literature. We're going to look at Dostoevsky. We're going to look at Leo Tolstoy. We're going to look at Gogol, Chekhov, um, Lermontov. Uh, the list goes on. When I return in three weeks, I will provide you with a detailed listing of what exactly we will be reading and who we will be reading. We will definitely look at some poetry by Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, and poetry from many other people, Turgenev. Oh, yes, we're going to add Turgenev to the list. And First Love is a uh, wonderful Russian text we, we, we need to uh, address and look at. Um, when we, we're, we're, We'll be looking at um, these stories and applying um, cr uh, critical analyses to each of these stories. Uh, psychoanalysis will we'll apply to works of Foucault. We will revisit Vladimir Prop as we discuss these stories and what these stories mean and what they can tell us about Russia in the 20th century. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I guess now will be a great time to recap all that we have gone over the first half of the semester. Um, we've looked at R Rurik, who was considered to be the first ruler of Kiev, uh, going back to 988. Uh, we've looked at Vladimir I, who baptizes, who does public bap, who um, does a public baptism, and thereby leading Russia into um, Christianity. We've looked at Alexander Nevsky, key figure who became a saint. Um, for fighting off the Swedes and maintain and help Novgorod maintain its independence from the Mongols. He fought off the Swedes, fought off the Teutonic invaders or the Germans. Um, we've looked at um, Ivan III, who sacked Nov Novgorod. We've looked at Ivan IV, who um, is considered Ivan the Terrible. Um, the, who was crowned the first czar of Russia. Many of his accomplishments include um, um, the collection of folktale. He commissioned the collection of folktale. He, he wrote many hymns and songs that were being sung in churches. He put together a printing process so these songs can be printed for everyone to sing. Um, he was responsible for uh, social reform. Um, the Zemsky Sabor, uh, Land Assembly, okay, many, many things. Okay, he was also responsible for expanding Russia into Siberia, collecting land from Siberia, and um, commissioning uh, salt production, and so on and so forth. We, we've also looked at um, his, his arch enemy, Prince Andrei Kurbsky, who slams Prince Ivan. From Poland, he he runs off to Poland, and and then writes a letter, and Prince Ivan uh, responds even harsher. We've looked at um at at oh um the Russian bathhouse, um what this means for Russian civilization, what are the implications? It's a place of where the passage of life occurs for many people from birth to death. Okay, and death both meaning literally and and figuratively for many women becoming getting married was 
was a, a, a death of an old life, but the birth of a new life. And um, they lamented oftentimes their weddings. Uh, they, they, they feared having to, they feared submission to men. And um, this was represented by their beating of the birch tree. The birch tree symbolizes um, nourishment for Mother Earth. And the birch tree moistens Mother Earth so that crops can grow. And young women would go and beat the birch tree. And what um, we mentioned earlier was that this beating, this flagellation of the birch tree, was a sign of their resentment against their mother. And we compared that to what we see today with young teenage girls who rise up against their mothers during their teenage years and, um, you know, generate this conflict between them and their mothers. And this was something that was represented by the birch tree. Um, These young women blamed their mothers for not protecting them from abusive husbands, so they would flagellate the birch tree. Okay, and um, the birch tree... um, And there's songs that lament this, and... Uh, the bathhouses, and all of these things tie in together. Uh, We looked at that. Um, We also discussed the Russian chronicles, the chronicles that were responsible for infusing Christianity into Russia. Christianity was something that was brought into Russia from Constantinople, so Byzantium was expanding and... um, and and was hoping to infiltrate Russia, which they ultimately did. Um, we also looked at at um, stories that brought forth a new ideology, how to live, how to conduct yourself. We looked at the dumbest Troy, but through the eyes of Ivan the Terrible. But we also read Peter and Favronia, okay, um, a ma- a couple who marries, but a woman who represented um, paganism but made her way into Christianity, who represents this old, going from the old into the new, and also represents the dual faith that we talked about, this dual faith that that um, persists in Russian minds even to this day. So that was the first half. Um, wow, we've, we've discussed a lot. Uh, Moscow being the third Rome. Okay, this was something... Um, that you know was used to to raise Russian identity to mount Russian um, vigor. Uh, the Russians thought that you know there would be a third Rome, and that is them, and they would there would be no other. And um, we we looked at that as well. So it's been a wonderful, informative first half of the semester. Next semester, we're going to go right into 20th century Russian literature. I will return in three weeks. So keep it locked, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. I'll be back in three weeks. Keep it locked. Uh, DJ Juliet is up next with The Girls Them Sugar, um, a, a show where you'll hear hip-hop, reggae, something from the Heritage Department. And for other Heritage programming, you can tune in to... Um, Pedro, DJ, DJ Pedro on Wednesday mornings from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. And there's The Magic Man on Monday mornings from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. 
And for more programming, simply go to whrwfm.org, our website, where you'll find and click on Program Guide, and there you'll find all of the shows for this semester. So again, I thank you for your time. I will be back in three weeks. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, keep reading your literature, keep learning, keep growing.
W.H.R.W. Binghamton. Did you know that on March 13, 1865, in a desperate measure, the Confederate States of America reluctantly approved the use of black troops as the main rebel armies faced long odds against the much larger Union armies at this late stage of the war? Let's hear what it sounded like. 